0: So in 2010, there was 800 miles of fiber optic cable that was laid between the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange. Stock, Stock Exchange. 800 miles at the cost of 300 million dollars. Also, that the communication that went back and forth between those two entities could speed up by three milliseconds. Not crazy. Three hundred million dollars for three milliseconds, and Nate, you're gonna have to run it because this is not working. Um, so, I, I don't know anything about the stock exchanges and things like that. What I do know is this: in 2017, we are more connected and 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 connected faster than we've ever been in all of our lives. Right? I mean, our generation—if you wanted to communicate with somebody, you might have you know made that long-distance phone call, but If you were like, if your home was like my home, that was a a rare instance. My parents didn't want to pay that that charge, right? And so we were left to writing letters, which you know put a stamp on it and send it. When I lived in Germany as a military brat, we were not allowed to call. The the cost to call from Germany to the United States was enormous, and so you'd write a letter, and it'd take two or three weeks to get there. Somebody'd write it write you back, and two or three weeks to get back. The world has totally changed we're connected faster. Uh, right now, we could pull up a phone. I've got a friend who's our missionary. Today's our, our London deadline. I, I can send him a message right now, and we can, we can just have a conversation like you and I uh, could right now just in, over our phones. So the question isn't speed. The question isn't connectivity. The question we've got to ask is, is our life actually better because of it? And last week, we talked about that. I think in, in a lot of ways, it is. But here's what research is showing us. And I think this is important for us, but this is one of those messages that I do want it to internalize for you. But this message may lean more into you as a parent, as you help your teenager, because of the world they live in. Research is showing that our happiness and our self-image and self-esteem is actually on the decline, on average. And the research is pointing back to the thing that we love to call social media. So, here's how it's working, what the research is showing. There's, there's always been, and there always will be, uh, people have a natural inclination to compare ourselves to other people. I mean, you go back to the beginning of time. Cain and Abel, if you're a Bible student, Cain and Abel comparing their offerings to the Lord, and it ended tragically. 1930 to 1940, there was a comic strip that ran in several newspapers, and the comic strip was about uh, the McGinnis family, and it was all uh, humor about their upward climb up the social ladder, and they always wanted to be like their neighbors. The McGinnis family lived in in one home. Their neighbors lived in another home. The neighbors were called the Joneses, and the title of the comic strip was Keeping Up with the Joneses. Now, it ended in 1940, but we still have that phrase in our terminology today. We still use it. We still uh, talk about that. We, we look at our, our neighbor pulls in, and they've got a brand new 2017 BMW, and we walk out, and we go, man, that is sharp. And we, we look over at our 2007 Hyundai Elantra, and we go, man, I got to do something about this, right? Even though your car gets you where you need to go, you've paid it off, you'll go and, and buy another car and get a payment because... Something inside of us says, "Man, I've got, to, I've got to be like them." It's that, that feeling of keeping up with the Joneses." Now what research is showing is that social media enhances that in a way that it's never been. And here's why: When you get on social media, you see great things. You see people's vacation pictures while you're at work. You see their family pictures and you go, look at them. They all match, and they're out by some train tracks. That's so pretty. And I, I look, look at their kids. Their kids, I can tell by the picture, they actually like each other. And, and all of a sudden, this comparison that we, that we do, we naturally do, we're now comparing our real life, our financial struggles, maybe our addictions or secret sin that we wrestle with, Toxic relationships that we might be trying to navigate through, we, we live that and we see that and we know that, but now we're not just comparing it to the Joneses who live next door that we see coming and going, but now we're comparing it to hundreds or maybe thousands of friends who post curated images, a museum of their life online, and it always looks fantastic, right? If people start posting online, oh, you know, really mad at my kids today. They did this or that. And they do that continually. Even if they gave you real life, you know what you'll do? Unfollow or unfriend because you'll go, I don't need that negativity. So you'll even weed real life out so that you can only see the good things. So here's what I'm thinking about doing. Just to to make it real. The next time Amanda's really mad at me and yelling at me, I'm gonna take a picture of her and post it on Facebook for everybody. (laughs) We laugh because we go, <laughs> then she'll post a picture of your funeral online, you know, because we, we don't do that for good reason. But this, the social media has made us internally as we compare. And even though we can make it, well, I don't compare myself to others. We do subconsciously. And we start going, man, they have it all together and I don't. And what we're seeing is our own self-image and, and, our, and our happiness is beginning to, to drop drastically. There was a article about a a free hotline in the the UK, in the United Kingdom. And it's for teenagers who are 19 years or younger. It's free. It's private. It's a counseling hotline. And they they were interviewing some people who work at the hotline. And they said, for the past 30 years, our our primary calls have been teenagers who are inflicting self-harm. They've been cutting. They've been thinking suicide. Or it's been teenagers who are struggling with an eating disorder. So that's what it's been for 30 years. They said, but we, we're seeing a new trend now. In fact, they had over 35,000 phone calls last year. And when they categorized them of what the call was, they're categorizing them as general unhappiness. 35,000 calls in a year just in the United Kingdom of 19-year-olds and younger going, I'm not happy. And here's what they said in the article. And I can't give you the quotes. There's lots of quotes, but I'll summarize up the quotes. They said, without a shadow of a doubt, the primary factor in the in the shift has been social media L magazine did an article not too long ago talking about how girls today now have two social media accounts not and I'm not talking about like uh, Instagram and Snapchat like two Instagrams or two Snapchats or two Facebooks or whatever there one is their quote unquote real life and the other one is the public life you see that that is That is the overflow of the sickness that we're talking about. This this lack of self-image that I cannot put who I really am. I'll share maybe who I really am with a handful of friends. But for everybody else, I have this persona or this picture of my life that I have to put out there. And then we're walking around feeling it all the time. As a a youth minister, for over two decades, you know, it's amazing to me how many football players, the captain of the football players, the captain of the cheerleaders, these guys and girls who, you know, the guy's six foot two and he's in shape and he's the quarterback and everybody loves him. Or the girl, she's a cheerleader and she's just drop dead gorgeous. And they'll sit and talk about how they feel ugly, how nobody likes them, how they don't have any real good friends. And every other kid is feeling the same way and they're wanting to be like them. You almost want to put them in a support group and go, let's just all share our feelings so we can all figure out how broken and lonely we really are. But social media is is making that even worse. Girl Scouts did a survey. 74% of girls in the Girl Scout survey said that their online pictures of themselves, they purposely put up there to make themselves, quote, cooler than they really are. So we have this social media world, and it's causing our teenagers to actually struggle with self-esteem and self-image more than they used to. And for adults, even though we may not feel it like they do, it still affects us in that keeping up with the Joneses idea. Psychologists are also talking about a thing they're calling the slot machine effect when it comes to social media. Now, if you go down to Vegas, which, see, this is a Baptist group. So Vegas is a city in Nevada. <laughs> slot machine effect. You, you go and you put in a coin, and you pull the handle down, you pull the arm, and, and you, you, you're hoping you get a reward. Put it in there, pull, get a reward. And they're taking this idea of the slot machine and calling... Uh, the, in social media, the slot machine effect where a teenager posts up a picture or they, they post uh, something that they've said, and it's like inserting the coin and pulling the handle, and they come back regularly to check to see if the reward is coming. This, this blows my mind. I've read about this, and then I've had teenagers like nod when I say it. Kids will go on and post a picture online. And if it doesn't have a certain amount of likes, a predetermined number in their mind, they go back and delete the picture or take it down. There's something that I, that'll make us go, that something wrong there. That I, I'm so chasing the approval of other people's clicks of a button to say, I like that, that if I don't get enough, I'll erase it because I don't want, that that's not good enough for everybody else. But that's what's happening in our world. What we've got to help our teenagers understand and internalize for ourselves, even as adults, is that when our worth is defined by Jesus, Social media loses its power over our self-esteem. When we can go and say, hey, this is who Jesus says that I am. I open up the scripture, and this, this is the, the definition of who God says I am as a child of his. When we really lean into that, and I, and I use the, the terminology of our worth is defined by it, all of a sudden, we can navigate the word of so, world of social media so much easier. So I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at a passage of scripture Here. And in the midst of it, uh, in the culture for which Jesus is talking, there was quite a bit of fear for the people who are following Jesus. For one, in the New Testament time, Jesus is in and around Israel, and Israel is being occupied by the Roman government. And so you'd go up and down a street in Jerusalem or other cities, and it wasn't uncommon to see Roman soldiers, and they were armed and they were the power brokers of your city. It would just be like if living in Texas, some other foreign country came over and, and defeated America, and their army was stationed here, and they were in charge of the police activity, things like that. That's kind of the world the Jews live in. And so they have Roman soldiers I see everywhere who have the power and the authority to make their life great or miserable. In fact, Jesus at one point says to uh, the people following him, he says, hey, if somebody tells you to carry their pack a mile, I want you to carry it too. That, that was part of that culture because a Roman soldier could come up to a Jewish person and say, hey, you carry my pack. And, and by law, they had to take that pack and carry it a mile. And so Jesus said, they go the extra mile. That's the world they're living in. And So, so if you're on your way to uh, the, the new Starbucks that they just opened next to the temple in Jerusalem, and, and you see a soldier who might have you do something and impede your calendar for the day... You felt that kind of tension of, I I don't want that to happen. I don't like these guys. I don't know what will happen. They could come in and accuse me of something, a crime. I really wouldn't have a whole lot to stand on because it's it's not my government that runs this place. It's the Roman government. So there's this fear of persecution. Now, Jesus also knows of what is coming shortly after he shares the words we're going to read in Matthew 10. He knows that even amongst the Jewish people, that the, that the adults and, and young people who are following or going to follow Jesus, they're not just going to become underneath the thumb of the Roman government. They're going to be on the outside looking in of their own people. Their leader, Jesus, is going to be crucified. The disciples we're going to find shortly after the crucifixion hiding away in an upper room because of the unrest and the fear that they have of being persecuted and the difficulties of their life of following Jesus. So it's in that context that Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, trying to help ease people's fear. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. There's a a place in Alaska. It's called Unalaska, Alaska, Alaska, which may be the greatest Alaskan town there is. Unalaska, Alaska. Alaska. And it is known as a hotbed of activity for bald eagles. This is a picture uh, that somebody just snapped by a a fish. uh, where they take the fish in. And, and the reason why they say bald eagles from June to the end of summer are, are all coming there is because this is one of the largest uh, fisheries in the United States. And so in this picture right there, that's just leftover dead fish. And so these eagles come and feed, and they nest there, and they are all over the place. The local hospital says that they have between six and ten people that come in every summer because of eagle attacks. Like, where have you heard that, right? Uh, in Unalaska, Alaska. Alaska. There's a video I'm going to show your teenagers, I'm not going to show you all for the sake of time, of just these eagles kind of all landing on a truck because of uh, the, uh, the, the guy who drove his truck left a, a thing of fish in the back. And there's 15 to 20 eagles all flying around just like in a, in, a, in a parking lot of a store. The lady records with her phone all over the place. Now, most of us in here, if we saw a bald eagle, that would be our Instagram moment, Right? I mean, like, if we were that's a ball that we would take a picture. We'd want everybody to know it. Man, I saw one. That's incredible. In Alaska, they're going, can we do something about them? Can we get rid of them? But they can't because in 1940, the United States passed a, a protection act that allows says we can't do anything to, <laughs> really, really, the eagles now own an Alaska because of that and the people run for cover. Outside of that, though, man, that, that's a, that is a, a bird that's majestic that we would love to see, we take a picture of, that we might even like go get our kids and bring them back, hey, you want to see this? But we don't have that same feeling toward pigeons, right? I mean, no one is, no one is asking Congress to pass the Pigeon Protection Act. In fact, you can walk through major cities and have pigeons everywhere, and, and, and you could quite literally see someone try to like kick one out of the way, and you wouldn't be offended by that. You wouldn't run over and go, What are you doing? That's a pigeon. Because that person would go, Well, there's a hundred in the square, uh, you know, and, and they're in the way. A pigeon would be a, what we consider a, a worthless bird compared to an eagle. And in Jesus' day and age, the sparrow was pretty similar. And look what he says in verse 29 he says, Two sparrows, they're sold for a penny, they're worthless and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The the most worthless animal that Jesus could point to, there was probably some nearby when he's telling this, when he says, hey, look at that, that that, that pigeon that that no one cares about. The creator of the universe knows when every single one of them falls to the ground. God loves his creation. And and, and when when we kind of look back over the message of scripture, we find a lot of things. We find that At the end of each day of creation, God looked at it and said, it's good. Day one and day two and day three and day four, day five, it's good. And then when he created man, do you remember what he said? He didn't say he was good. He said it was very good. I mean, in Genesis, we see the value that God has placed on people. We read in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist talks about how God knit us together in our mother's womb, that God intimately was, was, was a part of the creative work of you being born because he loves you because he's infatuated with you. And then look what he says to make his point. Verse 30 talks about man the sparrow's god knows but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. You have such a a high value in the eyes of God that he knows, you know, we use the phrase like I know I know him or I know her like the back of my hand. In reality I don't know much about the back of my hand. I mean like I understand that, that phrase, something that we see all the time. But God takes that to another level. He doesn't say, I know you like the back of my hand. I know you so intimately in every detail of your life that I know every hair on your head. I've got it numbered. And when the sparrow falls to the ground, I know it. And when your hair falls out, I know it. Like this morning when you brushed your hair and some hair came out of that, God immediately knew because he is that infatuated with you. That is really hard for us to understand. I had a conversation with a guy the other day, and I don't, I don't know where you stand on aliens and things like that. And, and the guy's a friend of mine. He said, he said, you, know, you look at, at the universe and, and how big it is. and I mean, all the galaxies, all of the solar systems. And he said, you really think that like, God would make all of that and there not be other life out there? And I said, I don't know, but I don't find it hard to believe that the God who knows every hair on my head might have created something so big and so vast in order to say, in spite of all of this, you're my prized creation. That that's how much I love you, that you are that important to me. And so what that matters to us is that when we begin to understand as an adult or help our teenagers understand how much God's heart is for us. All of a sudden, the number of likes on a social media account don't really matter anymore. I want you to look at one other passage of scripture It shows you how much Jesus loves you. I'll put it up on the screen. you have to flip there. It's Romans 5.8, and you might be familiar with it. It says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He created us, he created a universe in which we live. And when we alienated ourselves from God because of our own sin, he created a way for us to be reconciled back to him. And what I love about this passage that Paul gives us in Romans is this. He says that while we were still sinners, while we were in the midst of all of our junk, it wasn't that we were like trying to fix things and we, we, we fixed all of our sin and, and set aside. We said, okay, God, now, now I, I'm presentable to you. And, and, and God went, okay, now that you're presentable and now that you're cleaned up, let's have a relationship. no that while we were still sinners, at the height of our sin, our past sin, God being eternal is not on a human timetable. He knows your present sin, your future sin. He knows it all. And in spite of all of that, when you were the ugliest you could have ever been, Jesus loved you so much that he didn't just go, hey, I, I, I want to forgive you. He gave his life in place of yours. Is there a love that we can describe that's that's better or bigger than the love that God has for us? And yet we're comparing ourselves to our neighbors. And we're worried about, will people like this picture? Will people like this quote that I have? And once we begin to understand that, it changes everything. So I want to say this to you. And I know that in a room of of parents... The issue of salvation and things like that can become a very prideful thing. But I want you to understand this. If you've never made a decision in your life to follow Christ, if you've never come to a point where you went, you know what, I have sin in my life and I have never done anything about it. It's still there. I've never, I've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his death on the cross. I've never said, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. Then maybe, I'll tell you this, as a parent, You can't disciple your kids. You can't help them follow Jesus if you're not following Jesus. Without that, we're just talking about a a morality that's kind of a fake morality. I mean, we're not even tied to Scripture because if we're tied to Scripture, we'd be tied to Jesus. If you you came in this morning and there's never been a time in your life where you said, you know what? I want Jesus Christ to be boss of my life, to forgive me of my sin, and I want to walk with him and follow him all the way to and through eternity, but I want to walk away from the ordinary life and live the extraordinary, then I want to beg of you, before you leave this campus this morning, that you find me, you find Nate, you find somebody in your small group that that, that you know is walking in the Lord and say, hey, I want to continue this conversation. And you make a decision to accept the gift that Christ gave you. Now, if you've done that, if you're a believer, let's talk about some tangibles. What, What can we do in order to, to, to apply this, this, this scripture. It's difficult to go, well, if, I just, if I could just make my self-esteem better, if I could just make myself stop comparing, we would have all done it a while ago. But let me give you some, some kind of, what I'm calling some thoughts for believers, for things for you to wrestle with. And this may be more for teenagers than for you, but, but maybe you talk, talk to your teenagers about this. If you resonated with that, when you go, I've seen my, t- I've seen my kids do that. They, they don't, they take pictures down or things like that. We've got to move past that. And it may be that if we're on social media that we go, you know what, I'm just going to post the picture that I like, and if nobody likes it, I'm just going to keep on going. Now, that's going to have to be a piece of walking this journey that is also covered with prayer because there's a deeper issue there. God, why am I so needy for other people's approval? But one thing that you, a teenager could do, or maybe you, I, this is probably more teenagers than parents, one thing that a teenager could do is go, you know what? I'm going to post a picture, and, I, and, I, and I'm gonna, if it doesn't get likes, I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to train myself to stop caring what other people think while I'm praying for God to change that in my heart. Here's another idea. Hit the next one. You might need to memorize and meditate on Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Now, if you kind of uh, go, yeah, I think I compare myself. I'm always looking at my neighbors or I'm always looking at this family and this family seems like they're so much better than me. This might be something that becomes your application. I'm just trying to throw some things out there to help the Holy Spirit l- l- put something in your, in your heart. Here's what Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says. Most of us know 4, 13, look here at the very bottom. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Like our teenagers say that all the time. They're like, I'm gonna make the varsity because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what the verse is about. Like that's, that's taking out of context. Here's the context of it, which is what we could memorize and meditate on. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This isn't about making the varsity, it's about finding contentment in what God has given you. And if you resonated with that, man, I find myself comparing to other people, maybe your application is to memorize this verse and spend a month or so meditating on it. What I mean by that is reading it every day, a couple times a day, reading it slowly, thinking about what every word means as you memorize it to say, you know what, I'm gonna be content with what I have and not compare myself to what I see on social media. Here's the third thing, third idea. You might, you might download an app. Our ministry team said, hey, let's try to give people apps and things like that. There's an app called Identity in Christ Daily. That's their real fancy logo. Um, basically what it is, if you download it onto your phone, it will every day pull up a passage of scripture. It's like a daily Bible reading that is about your identity in Christ. So if you or your teenager goes, man, I don't, I don't even know what God says about me. When you, when you talked about that the God said creation was good, but, but I'm very good, and that God knit me together in my mother's womb, those things are foreign to me. This might be a great application for you to, to download and start, start reading some scripture every day to say, here's what the scripture says about me in the eyes of God. Here's another one. Can you hear that next one? Maybe, maybe you don't struggle with all that. Maybe your application is to, to flip the coin, and maybe you need to be the encourager. Maybe you have a high self-esteem. Maybe you go, you know, I don't, I don't really struggle. People come up to me all the time and they can go, hey, look, you, man, I can't believe you wore that you know, outfit out in public. And you go, ah, oh, thanks, I don't, yeah, I don't care. What, you, those things don't bother you? I'm, I'm more wired that way, obviously, <laughs> right? The, the, people come up to me, words of affirmation is not my love language. I, I have a pretty healthy self-confidence. One of the things that I can do, though, is being encouraged by other people. when I see When I see the fingerprint of God in somebody's life to point that out and to say, man, I see this characteristic of God in you. You could even use social media to do that. We'll talk about more about that next week. But maybe if you are, are doing these other things well, you don't compare, you post things, you don't, I mean, social media does not affect your self-worth, your self-image. Maybe you need to be the person that leans into other people and helps them get a better picture of who Jesus says they are than social media is helping them with. told you the research about social media, and it's causing people's uh, self-worth, their self-esteem, and their happiness to drop. That's not just one research project. That's a bunch, by the way. I didn't give you all of the details, though, because here's one of the thing they determined, they discovered through that. There is a group of people that is not affected by social media. Their, their happiness is not affected by social media. Their self-image is not affected by social media. And I'd like to tell you, it's Christians. It's not. I mean, it could be. Here's what they determine. It's people who live on with a purpose. People who live with a purpose tend to statistically not be, have their happiness or self-image determined by social media. Well, we've been saying now for several years that our purpose is to love God, to love people, and to help others do the same. What the, what the research is telling us is that the, that comes straight from Scripture. The research is telling us is that we can fall in to love with loving God. If you go, man, I, I'm here to love God, and I exist to love people. And I also exist, my mission is to help other people figure out how to love God and love others. You can probably get on social media all you want because your purpose will be grounded in something that is deeper and wider and more valuable than what other people think of you.